Welcome to Innovation Hub, I'm Kara Miller. When a woman named Ruth Belleville died in 1943, her longtime companion, Arnold, was right next to her. Actually, he was sitting on her nightstand, which might seem a little bit strange until you realize Arnold was a clock. Well, it was named after the maker um, who made it in the late 1700s, uh, John Arnold. Anissa Ramirez is a material scientist who has written about Ruth Belleville and how the 24-7 world was invented. And so on the face of the clock, it says Arnold uh, because of the maker. And so she just named it Arnold. And uh, her family had been in this business of selling time using this clock for 100 years. Of course, time existed before Ruth Belleville and Arnold. Since about 1750, Ben Franklin had been celebrated for the phrase Time is money. But Ramirez, who's the author of the book, The Alchemy of Us, argues that one of the strange things about time is that once we created fancy, almost perfect clocks and found materials like quartz to stick in them, those clocks and those materials, well, they turned around and started to reinvent our lives. Ruth Belleville and Arnold, they were a sign, if anybody needed it, that time was about to conquer everything. She would wake up early in her home in Maidenhead, which is about 30 miles outside of London, take the train to London, and then take the trolley over to Greenwich, and then walk up a very, very steep hill to the Royal Observatory. That's where GMT, Greenwich Mean Time, was, and they had precise clocks. So she would go there, then she'd make her way down the hill and over to London to various customers that needed to know the precise time. See, this is before cell phones and radio and television where people could get the precise time from those gadgets. But they wanted to know the exact time, and the exact time was located at the Royal Observatory. So she would walk around different parts of London selling the time. Um, Why would people pay her for the exact time? Like, who cared to the minute, you know, or the second? Well, it ends up that navigators really needed to know the precise time because they use the precise time in order to determine longitude. See, if they compared the time that they knew that London had, and if they knew the time because of the position of the sun, they could figure out where they were on the map. But if they had a clock that was wrong, they, would know, they wouldn't know exactly where they were on the map, and that could actually be deadly. They could end up in the wrong place. So, so they certainly, navigators certainly needed to know the precise time. Okay. Factories needed to know the precise time, so they knew when to start and stop uh, the workday. Businesses needed to know it because they had to note when transactions happened. So there were a range of different people who needed to know the exact time. So were there multiple people? I assume she was not the only person in this business who just went around saying, like, this is the exact time. Here's my watch. You set yours to match mine. Oh, that's a good question. Well, her father started the business, and he was the only person in town selling the time. And, and, and astronomers needed to know the time because they needed it for their observational work. Okay. And, and then her mother sold time for a while. And there were other things that were populating that started to sell the time, like the telegraph. Uh, but although that was a new gadget, it ends up that Arnold the clock was actually more precise because it was a very well-made watch. And then, and then when Ruth came along... There were even more businesses that sold the time, uh, even even radio. And also, uh, you can call to call a telephone number and get the precise time. Hmm. So she had less customers than her father. Her father had about 200 customers, and she had about 40 or 50. Uh, but And that was because, well, there were other ways to get the precise time. 
So in some ways, you know, to like modern ears, it sounds crazy that somebody ever <laughs> had this job. But can, can you just talk actually about the ways in which the need for precise time itself at that moment was a really modern thing that showed uh, like this increasing importance of time and not just time, but really knowing what time exactly it was? Well, time, they say, is one of the most used words in the English language. And if you look at the dictionary, at the etymology of a whole range of words, you will see that they're in the 1800s because we were obsessed with time. Before, we used to say, hey, meet me on Tuesday, and you would just show up. I didn't say a precise time, and you would just wait. Now, if I say <laughs> meet me on Tuesday, if I say meet me on Tuesday now, yeah. and I say 2.30, and I'm late by 20 minutes, you're out of there. We already live in this time, this world of being obsessed with time. So time was a way to coordinate people's actions and to, to move things faster. Uh, you, can, you can have appointments. Uh, you, can, um, you, can have, you can have trains running. So it, it was really key to, it was an underlying grid that we all had to snap onto in order for the world that we know to work. And in Ruth's day, uh, that was still starting to happen. So that's why her business was, was able to survive. You also talk about, I mean, ways in which knowing about time um, in different ways than people had in previous centuries, it changed human behavior. It changed how we slept. It changed how we interacted with other people. It changed, you know, how, sort of how society was structured. Absolutely. I mean, it ends up that before the Industrial Revolution, we used to sleep differently. Uh, we slept in two intervals. We would go to bed around 9 or 10 o'clock, sleep for about three and a half hours, and then wake up on purpose and do things around the house like sew, read, go visit our neighbors because they're up too. And then, <laughs> and then after that hour of partying, we'd go back to sleep for another three and a half hours. Uh, these two segments of sleep were called first and second sleep, and everyone slept that way. So what changed that? Two things. Artificial light. That allowed us to go to bed later. And the second thing that changed it was the clock. We had to get up early to get to the factory. Both of those segments of sleep were truncated by the light and by the clock. And so it didn't make sense to go to sleep, wake up in the middle of the night, and then go back to sleep. So they became consolidated, and that's the way we sleep today. So this was all shifted by the clock and artificial light. So, okay, Ruth Belleville is selling time. At the right around the same time, you've got patent offices, I would expect all over the world being deluged with ideas for more efficient ways to synchronize clocks than having like a lady come to your office and tell you what time it is. It's not super efficient if people have to do that with, you know, all the businesses around town. Um, what's going on with like what are people trying to accomplish here? Well, one of the major things is that the railroads, which is the biggest, which was the biggest business of the day, was trying to have its system be even more efficient, more trains running, more products, more people being moved on trains. And what you needed to do was a, you needed a good time system. You needed to tell people what time it was so that they can get on the train. Now, before 1883 in the United States, we had multiple time zones per state. There were some states that had 30 time zones, and they kept the time they determine the time by the position of the sun. So if you if you walked 13 miles one way or 13 miles east or west, you actually had to change your watch by one minute. This is crazy. 
So later on, there was standardized times where we had the four zones, and that was actually instituted by the railroads because they were trying to figure out how to how to mitigate time so that they can have people get on their trains on time and not be confused by the various time zones. So we lived in a world that was very crazy before time zones and before uh, there was a way to get time to everyone. And so what are these like inventors, these people who are applying you know, to patent offices, what are they trying to do? Well, one of the major questions of the day with the railroads is how to make sure that the clock that is on the train is the same time that's at the station mm. so that people could get to the train and move their products and move people accordingly. And there were various different ways to do that. Uh, lots of, there were lots of patents that came out, um, particularly in Switzerland. And there was one young man who was working on, who was a patent office, and he was patent officer, and he was looking at these different types of uh, uh, techniques to determine the time. Some people would say, well, if I shot a flare uh, and the clock, and that was seen by the person on the train and also the person on the station, then they could set a clock accordingly. There's this 26-year-old patent officer who wasn't particularly good at school, who had this job, which wasn't a very good job. Uh, if you wanted to be an academic, and his name was Albert Einstein. And while he's at the patent office, he's sorting out these, he's critiquing these different types of applications for different strategies to tell time between the railroad and the station. But on along the way, he actually has he actually has some deep thoughts about time itself. And the way and what he came up with actually shakes the way that we understand how time operates. One of the things you write is that he realizes that time is, uh, I mean, squishier is not the scientific term, but squishier than we realize. It's elastic. Yeah, yeah it is. I mean, it's just that, you know, you have to think deeply about it. Uh, but And he, you, he had lots of these thought experiments about time because, again, he's trying to sort this out at the patent office. And what he finds out is that a second isn't a second. If you are moving really, really fast, that second is different than the second of me standing still. And so this thing that we became more and more obsessed with, time, actually doesn't really operate the way we think. It stretches. Anissa Ramirez is a scientist. She's the author of The Alchemy of Us, How Humans and Matter Transformed One Another. Anissa, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. The second hand is your On our website, if you want to get a glimpse of Ruth Belleville and Arnold, her steady companion, we've got it for you. That's at innovationhub.org. Thanks to the people who helped put together this show. Senior producer Elizabeth Ross, producer Mark Solinger, and associate producer Sarah Leeson. From PRX and GBH, I'm Kara Miller, and this is Innovation Hub. Innovation Hub.